previously on Unpacked. Pushing himself up against the wall and saying, the ants are coming for me, can't you see them? His cheeks were fallen in, his, he was thin. I would choke him up against the wall. He's positive and he's on several different types of substances. And it was as if though someone had just told me my son had passed on. Dereline James has faced years of struggling to raise a son that is an addict. This is part two of her story. Let's unpack. I'm going to ask you a tough question. You know, you mentioned about you and your husband being divorced. It's a two-part. Do you think that the divorce was caused by a son that was going through problems that you as a couple were not agreeing on how to deal with? And do you think that your son possibly turned to drugs because of problems in the marriage? Um, later on, start with the latter part of your question. Later on, when my son shared his journey on how we had started, he then explained, and, and I didn't even think about that, because, you know, as parents move from one community to the next, we don't consult our kids. Mm. We discuss, we're moving, we're moving into a new area, new community and whatever. Um, you know, we're finding new schools for our kids. Mm. And he said to me, and before they were at a Model C school, and he, and while he was speaking that day, he said, and then I came into the school in the community. And because I sounded a certain way, and because I looked a certain way, people were teasing me. Mm. I didn't fit in in El Dorado Park. Mm. And for me to fit in, I started selling cigarettes with the boys so that they wouldn't tease me, mm. so that they wouldn't call me a cheese boy. Mm. That's how I started, selling cigarettes. And I always knew and I saw what drugs did to my cousin and family members, and it was never my intention to use drugs. But the one day all my friends were out drinking and they were drinking hardcore liquor and I wanted a cider. And there wasn't any ciders. And I, the, the, the liquor, the alcohol that they were drinking didn't taste nice. And one of my friends had obviously this drug, this powder, whatever that they were smoking. And he said, okay, fine, you're not drinking. You might as well smoke. So what happened after they said you might as well smoke? And he smoked. And he had his first experience with drugs. And the rest is history. And did he share with you how old he was at that time? I can't remember, but probably about 12, 13, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first part of the question, was part of the reason that you and your husband separated and got divorced in how you deal with your son? Definitely. Mm. Um, I think as mothers and as dads, males, females, our reaction towards our kids and us, there's probably something with mums and their sons and dads mm. and their daughters. You know, we react so differently and... Um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, where sometimes he did really try his best, but it definitely took a toll on our relationship, on our marriage, on just everything. Do um, you think dad wanted a more tough love approach? Definitely. 
And what did what did in his mind that involve? Um, I suppose don't you giving him too much attention? Mm. You know, um, and because I had my son before I got married, so it wasn't his child. Mm. So that just added more pressure in mm. terms of how to deal with the situation. Mm. So it was very difficult. But yes, it definitely contributed. It wasn't. We didn't get divorced as a result of my son's addiction. Definitely not. We had our own issues. Mm. But yes, it did contribute. Mm. And I think it's important to acknowledge how, you know, raising an addict literally affects everything in your life. You've already mentioned the part about work. You're asking for an advance. You're not coming in again. Now also your relationship where you are going to be having arguments about what to do with the situation. Just about everything. I mean, he would go to my mom's and tell my mom, um, my mother's not opening for me. They didn't cook. They didn't give me food. You know, grannies and grandchildren. Mm. This is what they're doing. And... You know, my brothers as well, they weren't pleased with how I was dealing with the situation. So it became so bad that, and I said earlier on that, I started isolating myself from everyone because now you must deal with your problem here and a million and one opinions. And maybe I can also add, don't people also start isolating you because they don't want to be part of that mess? We're like... If I visit you, I might get something stolen. Not even that. Yes, you you do have that where, you know, people walk in and, you know, don't want to put my bag in your cupboard, lock it, is here. You get that. But you know that that is the reality at home. So you have to do that. But also, I think, what else do you talk about? I mean, it's not like you've been to a party. It's not like you're going out. It's not like you're socializing. Um, people would ask me, hey, Dee, how are you doing? Ach, I'm okay. I'm just battling with him. You know, he did that. I forgot about myself. I didn't even know how to, I didn't even know how I was. I didn't even know what my favorite color was anymore. I didn't, I didn't know what my hobbies were. I wasn't enjoying life at all for years on end. It was just me home. I would go out. Someone would fetch me and I'd hardly be out of Aldo's and my mom would phone and say, He's performing again. He's hitting us. He's he's doing mm. this. He just stole this. He just stole your, you know, something. And I would say, can we turn around, please? Just go drop me at home. It's okay. Can we actually talk about the part where, I mean, most people, even if they, they don't know an addict or know somebody who lives with an addict, have an idea that generally addicts will start stealing because they need to pay for drugs. And they will steal a 20,000 rand phone and sell it for 500 bucks yeah. just to get their fix, right? But people don't see the part where they become extremely abusive. So how, have you been the victim of physical attacks from your own son? And he was a teenager at the time. Yes, I was. Now, in comparison to all the cases that I've dealt with, in comparison, if you... You know what? I'm not sure if you've watched the Ellen Pucky's movie. I have, I have watched that movie and I've made other people watch that movie so that we can have a bit more sympathy for the parents that are living or the loved ones living in a home with an addict. Exactly that. Mm. I remember they did that movie after the presidential intervention 
that was exactly my life. Maybe let's give, con- let's give context to the viewers. The presidential intervention was when you wrote a letter because your community was not getting assistance and there were many of you as parents sitting with kids as addicts and you had no help. And as um, Ellen Pikes actually says in the movie, like, what can I, what can I do? You, you say to me, take them to rehab. I took him to rehab. Uh-huh. He got out. I got him arrested. Yes. I kicked him out. He came back. Yes. What can I yes. do? But in, in your case especially, which is difficult, you were dealing with a minor. There yes. are laws gov- You can't just throw your child No, you out. can't. And That's and, neglect. Yes. And now I'm even more aware of those. I mean, back then I wasn't even capacitated with those laws and regulations when, and I didn't even know how easy it was but it became easier and it became clear and more awareness was done after the presidential intervention, after the letter. So um, the presidential intervention was Jacob's, President Jacob was Zuma Jacob at the Zuma. time? Yes. Who then responded Who then by... responded. So what I did the one night, um, my boy was at another rehab and this was after um, several rehabs, private schools. You know what, Dee? Take him to a private school. That will be the end of your problems. It's the environment. Uh, a month, two weeks, whatever, later you get a phone call to say, please fetch your son. He was caught selling drugs. The very transport who took him to school gave him drugs to sell at the private school. So he was kicked out. Mm. Um, Arrest him, that's going to help. PLI court, children's court, diversion program, being there. What is PLI court? Um, It's for for youngsters Mm. below the age of 18. Mm. So So juveniles. Juveniles, yes. And you go through a diversion program where you report to Sanka X amount of times per week. That didn't work. Um, Having him arrested, that didn't work. Um, Having him beaten up. Having him beaten up by the cops, that didn't work. Putting him out at night, not putting him out, but just taking long to open up the door, that doesn't work because you have someone knocking, banging on your window all the time and telling you they're going to burn down the house. So so that doesn't work. So you might as well open up the door. Um, and he very well could have burned down e- the house. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so that doesn't work. What works? At, at that point, I'm okay, fine. Does this lifestyle, does my life mean that the only time where I'm going to have peace is when he's at a rehab. I actually miss my son. And that night I took my Blackberry, back then it was Blackberries, and I just started writing, I just started expressing, I just started dropping thought on, in terms of how I felt at that time, it was early morning hours. And I said, dear dad, and I said, dear dad, because I wanted whoever I was writing to, to understand where I was coming from as a parent. Mm-hmm not as a head or whatever. But I then authored it to the former president, Jacob Zuma, and I just put on paper what it felt like, a day in the life of a mother living with someone who's on drugs. Mm -hmm. And I explained to him what the community was like. I said, sending him to the school is like sending him to a lion's den because it's openly sold. I said, the fencing is off, the community is in, you know, it's chaotic, the cops are in cahoots with the drug dealers. You have children and girls selling their bodies in exchange for sex to enable their habits. Mm. It was just, it was a dire situation. And I said, I need help. I have no idea what to do. Mm. Please just come and help me. And I sent that message letter via, I don't know if it was BBM or WhatsApp Mm. back in the day, to a friend. And a friend sent it to a friend and a friend sent it to a friend. 
and it went completely viral within mm. two days. Mm. Everyone, I think South Africans, started mm. sending it, hogging the uh, president's email and just everyone at parliament. Mm. They got it because I remember his advisor, Bongani, then said to me, D, we switched on the TV, there you were. We switched on the radio, there you were, this desperate mother from Aldo's. Our emails were being hogged. President was supposed to have flown out to, I don't know, I think it was Mexico or something, and he couldn't fly out because we were just bombarded by and this that, letter. That's how desperate the situation is. Yes. And much as it was about... Um, the community in Eldorado Park, the reality is there are many other communities that probably felt the same way. Yes, mm. and, I, and I realized that afterwards because everyone was calling, everyone responded to me on email and said, I feel you, because it's a shame. It's, it's, it's not easy to, I mean, it's not even easy years later. I always get uncomfortable when I speak about him. And I always remember that even that day when I was standing in front of the world on national television with the president and all the ministers, at one point I looked into the crowd and I looked at him and I said to him and I realized and I just saw him sitting there and he was crying. Mm. And I realized, oh my word, what, I, what have I just done? I've just humiliated this poor child in front of the entire world. Mm. Who does that? A desperate mother. And I looked at him and I saw he was crying and someone actually took him out of the crowd. And I pointed and I said to him, my boy, I'm so sorry for doing this. Mm. But it's because I love you and I don't know what to do anymore. In terms of <clears throat> being a parent, because many parents would watch and be like, other than asking themselves, what more can I do? Yeah. Are there things you think you did Sorry. that maybe you shouldn't have done in hindsight? Lots. Are there <laughs> things that you did that you feel maybe worsened the situation or maybe even, dare I say, pushed him into that space? Yes, I've done a lot of things that I regret and that I've had to go back and ask forgiveness for because I didn't understand addiction at all. I didn't. Give, give, give us some of those um, examples. Like sending him to the military. Mm. He's sick. Mm. He needs medical treatment and a registered rehab with trained people, with professionals, and I send him to the military. But, but at the time, and at the time, to yourself, yes. you know, most people only get to understand addiction when they have somebody actively in their lives that is addicted. Yes. Other than that, they're a nuisance. Just yeah. get rid of them. Absolutely. So it's easy for the other people in your life to, to say, judge. kick him out, da, 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 da. but you don't know until you're in the situation. So what are some of the other things that you, you did? I think it was that. It was also um, the desperation, illegal, not illegal, unregistered rehabilitation centers putting him at a rehab just because it's private and everyone says it's a good rehab with older users. Mm. And there he picked up because he wasn't ready, he wasn't mentally, he wasn't mature enough to absorb and to understand that program. He was a child. Mm. And here a program is being run to address adults between the ages of 18 and, and up. Mm. And that was another problem. Mm. The other thing that I regret doing was not re because I I regret it, but it was it was needed. It was part of my journey. Mm. Was removing him from school 
Because without education, what are you? I wish that there were programs that could support kids whilst they, and keeping them connected to the education. Mm -hmm. Because when you leave school and you go to rehab for a year or two years, who wants to come back and go mm -hmm. back two grades lower with children two years younger mm -hmm. and then more pressure? And I'm, I'm glad you were saying two years because sometimes rehab programs are that long. Yes. And in that time, the focus is on recovery. It's not like in between there's a mats, we're going to bring you a tutor to do yes. your school week, work, you're in programs the entire day. Yes. Now, although, although now it's changed, we have quite a few rehabs where actually they keep um, the, the users, those affected by, and we no longer refer to them as uh, uh, people using as addicts. It's those suffering with substance use disorder. Mm. And that is to basically break the stigma that is att attached to, to addiction. So it's families and persons suffering with substance use disorder. Mm. You'll see that they try and keep them connected to education and they'll have their books coming in and teachers mm. at the rehabilitation. Back then, there wasn't all of that. Mm. So removing him from school and then he gets clean and now he comes back, he doesn't fit in. He doesn't know he's of age. He doesn't know where to switch on a laptop. He doesn't know how to socialize, how to be accepted in the community. He doesn't know anything. Where's his comfort space, his comfort zone, just to go back mm. with addicts? How many rehabs did he end up oh, going to? More than seven. More than seven? More than seven. And what was the longest stint? Was it his last stint? I don't know. Um, you know, when you're going through something like that, because you, you're not at your full senses, you as the mother, because there's so much trauma involved. Mm. The duration of stints, you don't keep record. You just know it's just life happening. You don't know if it was a year, it feels like 10 years. You don't know. I'm, I mean, everything that I've said to you now, um, it actually affects you also because I sometimes find I don't remember, but, you know, the doctors have said to me it's because of the trauma mm -hmm. that you've been through. Mm -hmm. So I just know that this happened then during this time of chaos and, and hopelessness and despair. These are all the things that happened. Mm -hmm. But um, I am pleased to say as well that after his last stint, I think at the age of 22, mm. he then enrolled himself at uh, school, adult school, and mm. he completed his matric. Wow. He has his matric today. He's clean. He's working. He's doing well. Mm. You know, I just pray every day, you know, because we're still in the same environment. But yeah, I've dedicated my life to, to serving others, families, not to make the same mistake, mm. to empower mothers. You know. So did you actually leave your job? Yeah. What happened with your work? Because this letter goes viral and literally your life yes. changed. This became your new life purpose. Yeah. What happened with your, your job? Um, I resigned. I ended up after the presidential intervention. I don't know who that woman was. I think she was sleepwalking. But I was kicking down doors of lolly lounges. I was confronting drug dealers. Drug dealers were choking me and throwing me against their walls and I would get back up and I'll say, you dare sell, sell to my son anymore. And I would like, mm -hmm. I'm going to shoot you, woman. I'm going to shoot this woman. And I would be, I'm okay with you shooting me. How it's better than living know? this life. How did you even know where the drug... Everyone knows where the dealers are. Mm -hmm. Everyone, all communities. 
And this guy would throw me down and he said, and I would get up and I would cry and I'd say, shoot me, but you're not going to sell. And because I've done that, wherever you try to go by, the people would say, ah, 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 we don't ah, want your mother. Ah, you come with, with, with lots of problems. Your mother comes here with lots of cars, with the cops, and we're not selling to you. Mm. Go away. I would go into lolly lounges. I would jump walls. I was crazy. Um, I'm rebuilding my center. And in the week, something amazing happened. The very person that I got onto on his bed, he was sleeping because he was selling to my son. His wife opened the door. And I sat on him and I was choking him. He's busy doing the welding at my center now. <laughs> so he's turned his life around. He was once a dealer and now he's assisting. I, I want people to understand because obviously we're only getting snippets of yes. a very detailed story. It is not um, within your nature to go around choking people and doing things like that or getting your son beat up. No. You know, can you tell us, if you were to explain it in one sentence, what is it that drove you to some of the things that you've done? People fight for justice when it's too late, mm. when there's a body, when the person's six foot under. We are surrounded by social ills. There's GBV, there's substance use disorder, there's, there's all sorts of crime, and we turn a blind eye. And until it comes happening and it comes knocking on your door, and something happens, and then now you have the courage and the boldness to say, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to fight. What are you fighting for? Mm. Too much, too late. And at that point, I just thought, in fact, I wasn't thinking. But my life was being made hell, so everyone's going to suffer. I'm not going to be the only one. And people stopped selling to him. People didn't want to sell to him because your, your mother is lots of work. And I'm still known by that in, in the community. But, yeah. And, of course, I know it's not any behavior you condone. You're not encouraging no. mothers to go out and choke people or confront dealers and things like that. But this is just part of your journey and it's story. It's part of a crazy journey. I, I always laugh. I, sometimes when I go back, you know, when, when social media brings up your memories, mm. And then it says, and then I would read something and I was thinking, was this me? Mm. I'm not this person. And I laugh. I'm, I'm not this person. I'm, you know, did I actually do this? Mm. But that was just, I loved my child. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna let this thing beat me. There wasn't no way in hell it was going to beat me. It's still not going to beat me. In terms of your son, the fact that he's clean now, he's got his life together. Um, do you think of him and, dare I say, the monster, the evil, the whatever you want to call it that you were enduring, do you think of them as two different people? Definitely two different people. Um, you know, if, if he was here, he would even say to you, I can't believe I did that. He's the sweetest person ever. Definitely. You have the drug, which is mind-altering, so you end up acting out and doing all sorts of things. And, you know, it, it affects your behavior, your thinking, you know, your how you dress, everything. And then you have the person that you gave birth to. So it's very difficult, but I always encourage people to 
to attend more family support groups and mm. to share and to group up like-minded people just mm. to understand it better. Like there was an assertive effort made years back with Galen Corsi Johnson mm. around the HIV pandemic when people thought if I sit next to you and I have this conversation, I'm going to be HIV positive if I touch you or if my son sits next to you. You know, we were all caught with bags over our heads. There's the same perception once a druggie, always a druggie. Once a nyaupe, always a nyaupe. All those names, all the, the stigma, it needs to end. Mm. We need to understand what we are up against, you know, in order for us to, to, to react with, with and have an impact and mm. see change. The reality, though, having said everything that you've said about the stigma, is that even though things are the way now, you are still facing... Um, or let me say rather, your son is still facing the daily battle of having to fight off, yeah. some would call them demons or cravings or anything else. So it's not, you're healed, you're done, well done, life continues. Every day he's making the choice to not go out and go back to that life. Yeah. And it's very difficult. And every day I am making a choice to trust him. And every day I am healing. When he leaves, I have to be okay with. He's going to work and he's coming back. It's, it takes years even for me to heal because many um, people suffering with substance use disorder, they get to go to rehab. What about the parents? Where do Where we do you go? go? Oh. Where oh. do we go? Where do we go to get healing? Where do we go to speak about? everything that we've done that we cannot forgive ourselves for doing. You know, where, where do we go to deal with the fact that uh, when something's missing here, we still judge, we still, you know, think that it's that person. Sometimes we still get angry because, yeah, you stole my, my guest tackies and I paid so much for that. Where do we go to deal with all of those many incidents? When he went to rehab the last time and came back, did you have to make the decision to forgive and forget everything is done? And I'm not talking about expecting trust to be back, mm -hmm. but because you understand that you can't remind him of something he did because that might trigger him mm -hmm. to go back. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with that? And were you constantly feeling like, I want to say this, but I'm going <laughs> to shut up? Yes, I felt like that. I still sometimes feel like saying that. I still, But you remember, you can't speak to me like that because when you were, I, you know, you still mm. sometimes, you're tempted. But, um, you know, just for my own, now that I, I, that I understand addiction better, for my own peace, I have forgiven him. I understand what I'm up against. I have taken the time to really get into this. I have gone abroad. I have visited different states to look at best practices. I am, I fully understand. I understand the thing that once tried to destroy me has now become my passion and my purpose in life. <laughs> Did your son ever put your, um, his sister's life in danger? Oh, many a times. Hmm. Many a times. I think... Um, with him doing the stuff he was doing all our lives, everyone. In fact, I've put my family's life in danger. When I started knocking down dealers' doors and jumping walls, my brothers were up in arms. My family was up in arms. They were saying, you're drawing attention to us. What if people attack us? You know what? Mm. You're not considering mommy. You're not considering this one. It's not just about you, you know? All of those mm. things, I had that, but I just... 
Yeah. With reference to the Ellen Pucky's film, um, you know, her son literally lit the lit the house, um, flames, and while his parents were sleeping in there. Did your son ever try to kill you? Many a times he said he would, um, and I was scared, um, laying outside by my window, and he said, yo, I don't even want to repeat those words. What did he say? Oh, I can't. I don't think it's, it's I can even say it on, on, you know, swearing and cursing. You, you, you can say it. You know. It's, it's a safe space. You can say it because I really want to paint the reality of what you face, not the sugar-coated version, but the real stuff. I want to, but, you know, sometimes um, in the community that I come from, I wouldn't want to take him back there mm. now again, where tomorrow he'd be on his way to work and someone goes, sure, did you really say that? Mm. Mm. You were. I hear you. You know what I'm saying? So from now, um, where I'm at now, I'm here to protect him. I understand, I understand. So I, I wouldn't back then where to deal with the drama of Jacob Zuma's son, um, your mother's dating Zuma and, and all of that. Mm. You know, don't think your mother knows the president and the ministers, now you can do all of that. The cops pulling him by his bell, Zuma's boy, mm -hmm. like that. So I don't want to go back there. Mm. And I understand... Um, that for him it's still his ongoing reality. Yes. And yes. Uh, we have to treat the situation with the sensitivity it, it requires. In terms of, um, you know, me asking you if he ever tried to kill you, did you ever want to kill him in a moment of rage, of anger, of frustration, of desperation? Many a times. Mm. And he knows that. I don't know if I would have gone through with it. Mm. But at that point, your life is over. Your life is over because after seven rehabs, after all these efforts, I'm not going to live like this. So I might as well take you out, take me out and just call it a day. Those thoughts were there. And so when parents say to me, this is how I feel, I empathize. It's not what they want to do, but it's the situation is so bad. Mm. That, that you actually utter those words. And the only thing, because I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I know God has forgiven me. How is your son doing today? I've got my boy back. Mm -hmm. I have that chirpy, bubbly boy back. We have our arguments and disagreements now and again. But I have a much happier person. He's doing well. Like I said earlier on, he's completed his matric. He's working. And yeah, that's, that's where we're at. We, we're just a happy family. And his sister and him are getting on okay now? Yes, um, getting on my nerves, but just the music playing loud at home. <laughs> Nothing serious. The, the chaos has subsided. We have our arguments like families would. But um, we're happy. We're good. We, we're content. How are you doing? And not the work? And yes. all these amazing things that you're doing. How are you? I am relieved. I am happy. And I'm, I've made a consciously conscious decision to, to not just be alive, but to live life. Mm. Because life is so hard, so unpredictable. 
So every day I find moments of, of, of gratitude and just being happy. That's where I'm at. Thank you so much for coming to share your story. I know it's a sensitive subject, especially considering that this is a battle that your son continues to face every day. I'm so happy that all of you are in a better place and I, I wish all of you continued healing and growth. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Hashtag unpacked with Rilebukhile to all of the parents and loved ones of those that are struggling with drug addiction and substance abuse. I hope that your experiences today have been validated, that your feelings have been validated. Some of the things that you might not be able to forgive yourself for yet have been validated today. There is help out there, so do reach out. We'll put the details out, and to you as well that is struggling with drug abuse, the details will be on your screen. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good night. Next time on Unpacked. My dad actually called me on the intercom. Um, and he picked up the intercom and said to me, be careful because there's um, guys at the gate. I didn't know, but there were already guys inside the house. Do you just remember the part of waking up and grabbing your firearm and then it's blank? Your spinal cord is damaged at this point and your chances of walking again are less than 20%. for watching Unpacked with Rileb Khilema. Make sure you subscribe to my channel where you can get to watch more episodes. But more importantly, you can be part of our online community. Comment down below, share with us who you'd like to see on the show, what story you'd like us to discuss. We love engaging with you. Keep it coming and don't forget to subscribe.